Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at the opening two rounds of games in the group stage of 2022 World Cup qualifying for Africa, as Egypt fire their coach who was unbeaten in nine games. Also, we look at the large numbers of players featuring in the African qualifiers who were born in Europe rather than in Africa. And in women's football, we hear from the FIFA Secretary-General Fatma Samura on the CAF Women's Champions League. It is important uh, that uh, we also promote uh, the clubs and the league's competition because those represent the nursery for the national teams. That's coming later. And also, Stuart assesses a busy transfer window in Europe. But let's start at the 2020 Paralympic Games in Tokyo, Japan, which ended last Sunday, and Morocco took the bronze medal in the men's five-a-side football tournament, beating China 4-0 in the bronze medal match, a great achievement for Africa's representatives there. Now, there was some great competition at the Paralympics, and it saw the launch of a campaign called We the 15 in support of the 1.2 billion people in the world with a disability. People with disabilities make up 15% of the world's population and the We the 15 campaign aims to represent them and it certainly made a big start in Tokyo. Now the 2021-22 edition of the CAF Champions League starts this weekend with 44 teams playing in the preliminary round ties and there's lots happening as we've had seven days of action in 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifying as the group stage of qualifying for African teams got underway with the opening two rounds of matches. After the preliminary round there are 40 teams in 10 groups. The group winners go through to the final round where there'll be five playoff ties for places at the finals in Qatar. So you need to finish top of your group and teams with two wins from two so far are Tunisia in Group B, a good 2-1 victory away to Zambia for them. Senegal made it two wins from two. Uh, They won 3-1 away to Congo Brazzaville with Sadio Mane scoring from the spot. Nigeria also have six points. They won 2-1 away to Cape Verde in their second match. And Libya are the surprise team so far with six points in Group F ahead of Egypt. Algeria dropped points as they were held to a 1-1 draw away to Burkina Faso they've got four points from their two games and Tanzania beat Madagascar 3-2 getting one of the fastest penalties ever after just five seconds after Simon Msuva was fouled it might be the fastest awarded penalty of all time although it's not been officially confirmed as yet Ivory Coast beat Cameroon 2-1 in a tough encounter in Group D. The Elephants top on four points. And Egypt fired coach Hossam El-Badri a day after the Pharaohs were held to a 1-1 draw by Gabon, having won their first game. Uh, Four points from two games. Uh, Does it make sense to fire the coach at this stage, Ida? And don't forget that the previous coach was sacked after their dismal showing at the 2019 Afghan, Steve, and uh, that was on home soil. Well, during his period as head coach, El Badri led the Pharaohs in nine games, 
Five of which he won, four he drew, meaning that he didn't lose a game but still got the sack. Now, it does seem like more of a stopgap measure, more than anything else, you know, long-term or sustainable, at least if you ask me. El Badri was replaced barely 48 hours later by Portuguese Carlos Quieros, who, as we all know, is extremely qualified, you know, from working alongside Sir Alex Ferguson for years at Manchester United to his time at Real Madrid, Portugal, South Africa, Iran, you know, and most recently Colombia. Though details of his contract haven't been made public yet, but it's interesting as well that one of the first things that the new technical bench has done is incorporate legend Essam El Hadari as the goalkeeping coach. Now, El Hadari, of course, a legend, 159 caps for Egypt and still has the record of oldest player to feature at a World Cup when he did so in 2018, aged 45 years old. But Back to Kieros. Well, he comes in at a crucial time for the Pharaohs, Steve. His first challenge will be against Libya. Libya, who, as you've mentioned, have a 100% record so far. And that will be in a double encounter in October that honestly might determine the Pharaohs' fate in the 2022 World Cup. Yes, so fired without losing a game, and Akira's a big name as the new Egypt coach. Uh, two more rounds of games next month, and two more in November in the fastest ever World Cup qualifying campaign in Africa. Now, in these latest qualifiers, the Tunisia-Equatorial Guinea match featured more players born in Europe than in Africa in the starting lineups, 13 out of 22 players. Tunisia had six players born in Europe in their starting lineup. Equatorial Guinea had seven born in Europe, all seven of those born in Spain. Also on the opening match day, Morocco had seven players in their starting lineup who were born in Europe. Algeria six, Nigeria six, Ghana five, DR Congo five, Cape Verde five, and Senegal and Cameroon, each with four players born in Europe. Uh, certainly it is part of football these days, of course, that there are players of African heritage all around the world, and it makes sense to hunt for the best of them. Uh, the Algerian FA has a big focus on recruiting French-born players, uh, so too Guinea, Bissau and Comoros, while Mozambique have started looking for eligible players outside the country, and Sudan too. And countries like Zimbabwe are doing their best to interest players born in the UK. Uh, So it's part of football, as I say, Ida, but uh, the risk could be that FAs might focus less on development of players in the country and instead focus more on scouting for players outside the country. It's really interesting, isn't it, Steve? I mean, these new trends that we're seeing in the game. And uh, before I talk about the FAs, allow me to get into that World Cup qualifier. Now, yes, it is an alarming percentage. In that game between Tunisia and Equatorial Guinea, for example, it roughly translates into a whopping 60% of players that were born in Europe. And, of course, it does go without saying that the basis of all this, you know, is the huge relocation of Africans to Europe and especially the baby bloomers and the early Gen X generations. And more and more, we are seeing many players of African descent, but born outside the continent, you know, make that U-turn to then represent their African countries. 
Now, the obvious answer to the question why would be the stiff competition that these players face, you know, to make the first team in the European countries. And just a quick one, Steve, that FIFA did relax the rules on switching international team allegiance. That was at the 70th annual Congress in 2020. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of that per se, you know, as it's quite vast, but just a reminder that it's now become easier for a player to make their minds up, you know, on which country to represent. Right, so that's one of the reasons for the increase in players born in Europe playing for African countries. And Ida, there are a lot of big names in this category. Right. Now, there has been a number of hugely notable European-born players now representing their African countries. So let me mention just a few. So, of course, we do have uh, Riyad Mahrez, who was born in France, but turns out for Algeria, and is now an Afghan-winning captain. There's also Hakim Ziyech, uh, whose Dutch call-up never came. He switched legions to Morocco as a result, and his club career is also doing quite well. I mean, he's now a Champions League winner. We do have another Moroccan, Ashraf Hakimi. Now, he was born in Madrid to Moroccan parents, and at just 22, I mean, you can clearly see his trajectory. And I can't go without mentioning the likes of Nicolas Pepe, born in France, but never received a French call-up, at least at age-grade level. Now, he naturally represents the Ivory Coast. I mean, there are a dime a dozen, Steve, including the likes of Nigeria's William Trustekong. And some of these players have already reaped the rewards of their choice, as we've said about Mares and even the likes of Ziyech, you know, having already played at a World Cup. So going back to your initial question about FA's prioritizing scouting over development of local talent. Well, this is a relatively new phenomenon in football, Steve, and it's one I think that will need to be studied before any conclusions can be made. But my personal opinion, look, I sure hope not. I mean, I would love to see FA's prioritize age grade development because first, National football associations aren't clubs, and they shouldn't rely on scouting as their top source. And two, in a way, that would inadvertently be taking African football back to the over-reliance that we've been trying to get out of on Western stakeholders, you know, to develop players that the countries can then, you know, almost sort of borrow every once in a while, you know. So, no. We need to rely on ourselves. Yes, I'm hoping that youth development won't be neglected. We'll keep on following this story here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. To women's football now, and qualifying is continuing for the first edition of the CAF Women's Champions League to be held in Egypt later this year, with the date still to be announced. The Sakafa qualifying tournament ended on Thursday in Nairobi for East Africa, with the Higa Queens of Kenya winning. The Central Africa Zone final is on this Sunday, and the Southern African qualifier ended last Sunday in Durban in South Africa, with Mamelodi Sundowns ladies of the host nation qualifying as they beat Black Rhinos Queens of Zimbabwe in the final. The FIFA Secretary General Fatma Samura was there at the final. She then went to Kenya for the Sikafa final and she spoke to Kosafa TV. Most importantly, I'm here to support women football. 
and to see how uh, the new competition that has been introduced by CAF for the first time in its history, the um, CAF Women's Champions League, is unfolding. And uh, it is important uh, that uh, we also promote uh, the clubs and the league's competition because those represent the nursery for the national teams. I think that uh, with expanded uh, World Cup from uh, 24 to 32, starting uh, in 2023, meaning in two years, we uh, at FIFA are also, are also supporting, in a way, Africa to get uh, more teams uh, uh, participating in this uh, World Cup. And uh, this champion is uh, also one of the elements that are very critical for providing uh, the best players at the national team. We have had an opportunity to be in France uh, two years ago where we saw for the first time South South African team participating to the World Cup. And from what we have seen, the gap between South Africa and the elite uh, uh, world football is so narrow that by coming here, we would like also the whole country to support so that we can even reduce that gap and allow one day uh, one of these African uh, team through uh, the uh, coming from the, the clubs and coming from the league to lift this most converted trophy that is the Women World Cup. It, uh, just one plea I have. First, towards uh, the sponsors. We need more money. We need more investment. We may not be generating the level of re revenue that uh, the men's game is, is generating, but we've seen what uh, uh, the girls are capable of doing when uh, they uh, belong to, to big clubs. The second uh, advice I'm gi giving to the girls is believe in yourself. Believe in your dreams and dream big. And uh, you can achieve those, those dreams by giving the most of yourself. That's the FIFA Secretary General Fatma Samora speaking in South Africa to Kosafa TV, hoping that one day an African team will win the Women's World Cup and saying that the CAF Women's Champions League will help with development and that more sponsorship is needed for women's football. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart assesses a busy transfer window in Europe. You can follow us on Twitter at PlanetSportFA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. To social media now, last week we talked about Cristiano Ronaldo, who's back at Manchester United in the most eye-catching move of the transfer window. And last week we asked, at the age of 36, what do you think Ronaldo will achieve at Manchester United over the next two seasons? Is it a masterstroke by United, or is it an expensive misjudgment? With your comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ifrem Tagu. Thanks, Steve. And we start on Facebook with Nasolo Mary, who is uh, very sceptical. Ronaldo is totally incapable of winning any trophy with Manchester United, says Mary. Despite the fact that he has been good before, he's now 36. He didn't give the Champions League to Juventus, yet we believe that was the major reason why they signed him. But instead, they almost went into the Europa League. But Blessed Armstrong in Nigeria is far more optimistic. It's a good move and a lot is going to be achieved, says Blessed. And Lars Stefan in South Africa agrees. This signing will be a big boost for Manchester United silverware ambitions, says Lyle. To WhatsApp now and here are the thoughts of Mohammed in Morocco. 
He's a great player, and even if he changes to another club, he will stay Ronaldo. It's all about the other players who are surrounding him as well, says Mohamed. And Mustafa Shetima Usman in Nigeria also sees more bright days ahead for CR7. He will deliver more at Manchester United than everybody thinks, says Mustafa. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Smart Eddie in Uganda. Well, it's Ronaldo's character to achieve. But at the age of 36 years, I don't think Ronaldo will be capable of achieving like he used to. I want us to flash back at Juventus. Even before the age of 36 Ronaldo was not capable of giving Juventus a UEFA Champions League trophy and that was the incentive of Juventus to sign him. He would be so, so happy to lift a trophy with Manchester United. Unfortunately, it's very, very impossible. So Smart Eddie doesn't believe Ronaldo will make a good impression at United after his time at Juventus, but Mbappe in Sierra Leone takes the opposite view. Yes, You can see what he did for Juventus. I believe he can do the same at United, says Mbappe. And here's another voice note from Ebrima Kante in The Gambia. Personally, I think Cristiano has passed his best. The Cristiano that I know in 2006, 7, 8 from Manchester United is not the same Cristiano that is going back again. The Cristiano I know that played against Chelsea in 2008 Champions League final was the Cristiano that was going past two, three, four players at once. But right now, that Cristiano is no more there. Right now, the Cristiano that is there is the finisher. So, Abrima saying Ronaldo no longer has the pace to outrun defenders, but he is still a good finisher who will score goals. Ishmael Saidu Kanu is in Sierra Leone. I'm sure CR7 will deliver, says Ishmael. Not in the same way as before, but that thing is still in him to win laurels. A few days ago, he scored twice for Portugal to set an international goal-scoring record. He isn't growing old, and I expect him to score more than 20 league goals for Manchester United this season. And Salmane Farise Drame in Senegal is also optimistic about Ronaldo's move back to Old Trafford. Yes, Cristiano is the best player and the transfer is a good choice because Ronaldo is still a very good striker and he is welcome at Manchester United because it is like being back in the house where you came from. And Nicholas from Ghana agrees, yes, of course, it's a good move, says Nicholas, because if we see the team United have now with the addition of CR7, they can compete very well in both domestic and in the European Champions League. And here's another voice note, uh, this time from uh, Sambu One in the Gambia, who doesn't believe United made a mistake in signing the five-time Ballon d'Or winner. I think it was never a mistake of my United to bring back Cristiano Ronaldo to his former club, club that makes him what he is today. It's going to be a very big plus. He's going to add a lot of things to the club. The young ones will learn a lot from him. And his coming is... Definitely going to be a tough of the Premier League teams because we all know in the world what Cristiano Ronaldo can do. 
but Conor Kelly Abubakar in Ivory Coast sees the move rather differently. For me, says Kone, Ronaldo is not a normal player. He's like a legend. But personally, I don't think he can bring change to the United team due to the harshness of the EPL. Today, each club is so strong. Ronaldo won't happen to bring something to United. And despite his arrival, I don't place Manchester United as favourites to win the league title because Manchester City and Chelsea both seem a little beyond the reach of other teams. So overall, I would say it is an expensive misjudgment. Robert Francis Mugabe in South Sudan says Manchester United should expect to achieve more with CR7. With his energy, experience and name itself in the team, he can change the performance of United to another level. But I still don't expect United to win the league, says Robert. And finally, Manchester United fan Gadi in Rwanda is very excited by the move. I think Cristiano will help Manchester United to achieve their goal, says Gadi. We needed a striker. I think now every Premier League club should fear United's attack with Cristiano, Sancho, Cavani, Greenwood and even Rashford when he returns. So there you have it, Steve, another big response this week to this question with some of our correspondents questioning whether Ronaldo will have the desired effect on Manchester United. But it's fair to say that most people think he'll make a big impression and maybe steer United to their first league title since the days of Sir Alex Ferguson back in 2013. Well, we shall see, but uh, really looking forward to uh, seeing Cristiano Ronaldo in the English Premier League. Thanks, Ephraim. That's the Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks to everybody who got in touch. So Manchester United playing Newcastle on Saturday in the Premier League and then away to Young Boys of Switzerland next Tuesday as the group stage of the UEFA Champions League kicks off. Let's go to Stuart Weir in the UK, our European football expert. And it was a pretty busy transfer window, Stuart, with Ronaldo not the most expensive, but certainly the most eye-catching. What else stood out in the transfer window? Well, Steve, there's just so much to talk about in terms of transfers completed during the recent window that I don't quite know where to start. And, of course, you have to say that it will be a few months before we know which clubs have spent their money most wisely. Now, Nuno is certainly putting his stamp on Tottenham Hotspur, bringing in Romero, Emerson and Gill. But the summer has also seen established Tottenham players like Eric Lamella, Toby Alderweireld, Danny Rose, Juan Foth, Musa Sissoko, all leaving. And I suppose the big news for Tottenham is that they're keeping Harry Kane. Arsenal have also had a busy summer, with Martin Odegaard making his move from Real Madrid permanent. They've also signed Tommy Sayu from Bologna, Aaron Ramsdale, Ben White from Brighton, Lokonga from Anderlecht and Tavares from Benfica. But having spent all that money and lost the first three games in the league, it really adds to the pressure on Mikel Arteta. Liverpool had a difficult season last year, and I'm frankly quite surprised that they have not been more active in the transfer market. They've signed just one player, Ibrahima Konati from France, but of course they have lost Jorginho Ronaldum, and I think he was their most important midfield player. He simply opted to leave when his contract ran out and has gone to PSG. Lukaku is interesting, Chelsea's only signing. But at the same time, they've moved out 21 players. 
Watford have signed a lot of new players and also got rid of 15, including Troy Deeney, who has been at Watford for 11 years, 389 games and 132 goals, the end of an era for him. Yes, Troy Deeney, a great servant at Watford. Uh, So what about Manchester United with the arrival of Ronaldo Stewart? Now, Ronaldo coming to Manchester United is a really exciting prospect. But for me, the fact that he was their last signing raises quite a lot of questions about the implications for the rest of the squad. Now, at the end of last season, Edison Cavani wanted to leave and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made a great effort to persuade him to stay. But if Ronaldo, as we understand, is going to play up the middle, where will Cavani play? And what about the idea that Mason Greenwood's best position is up the middle? And if Greenwood is now going to play on the right wing, what about Jadon Sancho, for whom they paid an awful lot of money? And remember at the end of last season we talked about the Ivorian teenager, Ahmed Giallo, who got two starts in the Premier League, But what's going to happen to him now with Sancho and Ronaldo joining? Jello, frankly, will do well to get on the bench. I'm surprised that clubs like Brighton, Crystal Palace and Newcastle have not signed more players and I'd expect them to struggle this year. Now, one transfer, finally, which does intrigue me is the move of Tino Livramento from Chelsea to Southampton. Livramento is 18... He never got a game at Chelsea, but he's played 90 minutes in each of Southampton's first three games, which just shows you sometimes leaving a big club to go to a medium-sized club can really help a player's career. And what was the overall picture of the transfer window, would you say, Stuart? The top six transfers in terms of the transfer fees, and remember, these are estimates since the exact fee is often not disclosed, are Jack Greeley's. Aston Villa to Manchester City for about $145 million. Romelu Lukaku into Milan to Chelsea, about $140 million. Jadon Sancho, Dortmund to Manchester United, $70-something million. And Konati, Leipzig to Liverpool, $50 million. And Rafael Varane, Real Madrid to Manchester United, for $50 million. 55 players have come into the Premier League from outside the UK, with 27 players moving between Premier League clubs and 17 signed from Championship clubs. Interestingly, clubs are looking mainly for younger players, with 21 of those players under the age of 21 and a further 41 under the age of 25. So that's 60% of all the players signed in the transfer window under 25. There have been nine Africans three from Nigeria, two from Senegal, two from Zambia, one Congolese and one Ivorian who've come into the Premier League. The amount of money spent by Premier League clubs is more than twice the total spent on transfer fees by any of Spain's La Liga, Italy's Serie A or the German Bundesliga. And the biggest net spenders were Manchester United, Arsenal and Manchester City, all in excess of $150 million. But there were also six clubs who made a profit on transfers. Wolves, Everton, Brighton, Aston Villa, Southampton and Chelsea. Now that was remarkable business by Chelsea to spend $140 million on Romelu Lukaku 
and recoup the entire amount by selling players who were frankly surplus to requirements. And one final statistic is that over the last 10 years, Premier League clubs have spent $7 billion buying players, with Portuguese clubs being the main recipients, receiving $3 billion, Brazilian clubs $1.5 billion. So in a roundabout way, the great wealth for the Premier League, generated through TV, is helping football around the world. Oh, really? So that's a good news. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? Steve, when you and I were younger, we used to watch football standing on the terraces. But then in 1989, the terrible Hillsborough disaster, where 90 fans died in a crush, led to the introduction of all-seater stadiums. Well, the UK government had indicated that this season there would be some pilot schemes to test safe standing. And standing has already been reintroduced in Germany for fans are allocated a specific seat, but the seat is locked upright with the fan standing in a specific place in a specific seat number. That compromise allows standing, but avoids the potential for too many people in a particular area. When Manchester City beat Norwich 5-0 recently, it was the 20th time that they've won 5-0 under Pep Guardiola. The previous 20 times they secured a 5-0 win had taken 69 years. Now, Tottenham are currently top of the league and their manager, Nuno, was a goalkeeper during his playing games. I knew you'd want to know this, Steve, but the last time the the top-of-the-table team was managed by a former goalkeeper was Norwich City and Mike Walker in 1993. And finally, I don't know, Steve, if you remember Brian Dean's goal for Sheffield United in August 1992. It was the first ever goal in the new English Premier League. Well, just before the international break, Chris Wood scored for Burnley the 30,000th Premier League goal. Oh, well, that's a lot of goals. Thanks a lot, Stuart. English Premier League back this weekend after the international break. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.